If you have found yourself making bad decisions in the past, making poor choices, please understand this, that He is always, always, always ready to welcome you back. Always. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Last Sunday morning, as most of you know, we began a new series of studies for our Sunday mornings in the Old Testament book of Ruth. And if you have your Bible with you this morning, can you turn please to Ruth chapter 1 as we're reading verses 14 through 22. At this they wept again, and then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem, when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading of His Holy Word. If you were with us last week, you will know we concluded our study by asking ourselves, how on earth do you respond to some of the major challenges life brings our way? How do we respond as Christian people when we live through the death of a child? How do we cope with the overwhelming agony and sadness and grief of that experience? We also suggested how do you begin to respond to a situation where a marriage has been flourishing and developing for 25 years, and then it starts to unravel, and a couple goes for separation and ultimately divorce. What do you do when your hopes and dreams come to nothing? And that's where we were last Sunday. And if you want to know the answer to how do we respond Go on to the church website. The sermon from last Sunday will be right there. Download it and listen to it as you exercise and go around your business this week. So that's where we were last Sunday, and that sets the context for today. 
And of course, towards the end of our study last Sunday, we know that Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, I am returning to my hometown of Bethlehem, and you probably should go back to your hometowns, see if you can find your parents and your wider family, and they will look after you, but I'm heading towards Bethlehem. And of course, Orpah and Ruth are incredibly sad about this development. They are hugging each other. They are in tears. And the passage we're about to come to, verses 15, 16, 17, are a turning point, not just in the book of Ruth, or not just chapter 1, rather, but in the entire book. And every now and again in the book of Ruth, you will get the slightest hint that God is doing something so much greater, so much more fulfilling than what would seem to be the normal everyday experiences of a family of four. So much so that the passage we're about to look at could easily be described as a turning point, not simply in the book of Ruth, as we have said, but in God's redemptive purposes for all of humanity. And so we find Ruth, Naomi, Orpah at a crossroads, geographically and spiritually. And Orpah listens to her mother-in-law she understands the reasoning behind what Naomi is saying, and so she does what? She says farewell, they hug again, they cry again, they hug again, they cry again, and eventually Orpah leaves and returns to her home. And now we're left with Naomi and Ruth. And the turning point takes place in the dialogue which passes between Naomi, and Ruth. A symbolic spiritual crossroads is right here. And it's almost as if the book of Ruth is inviting us in to quietly listen, to pause, to hear the conversation between a mother-in-law or daughter-in-law. And what takes place here is much greater than it first seems. Now, let's look at the dialogue going back and forward. Verse 14, at this they wept again, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. And earlier, as we discovered last week, and you're about to see again, Naomi is saying to Ruth, Ruth, I cannot guarantee the future for you. Now remember, this is the year 990 BC, almost 3,000 years ago. There's no social security. There's no unemployment benefit. If you weren't part of a family, you were in for some tough days. There was no one to love poor Ruth, no one to welcome her in, no one to provide for her. Her own family were far away. And in essence, Naomi is saying to her this, Ruth, if you come with me, 
you need to be ready to count the cost. Because when we get back to Bethlehem, I cannot guarantee any kind of employment. I can't guarantee that my wider family, there's not too many of them, will welcome you in. I can't guarantee there'll be a roof over your head. I can't guarantee any kind of food. I simply can't guarantee a thing. Ruth, please understand, the future is unknown. There are too many uncertainties. Please go back to your own family. And right there, Ruth says the following, and you'll find it in verse 16. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined, she did not encourage her any further. Now, hold on to that thought, the dialogue going on between Ruth and Naomi. And let's move our thinking into a 21st century setting. Ruth and Naomi stand at a spiritual and geographical crossroads. And there are some significant decisions now to be made. Please don't miss this. These decisions have an eternal value to them. And we know that Naomi has said, I cannot guarantee anything. Now, in a 21st century setting for you and I, how do we begin to apply that? Because for all intents and purposes, it looks like a decision where Ruth and Naomi will live. It looks like a normal, everyday kind of decision. But please hear me. There is more going on here than meets the eye. Because you may well find yourself at a decisive point in your life, and you have decisions to make that will impact you and your family and your relationship with the Lord for the rest of your days. It may not be over where to live, but if you are determined to grow in your faith, if you are spiritually unsettled, and the Lord is calling you into a deeper relationship with Himself, and you are moving in that direction, you will inevitably be challenged. You will face decisive points in your life when you will need to say, I am standing for Him and moving forward regardless of what the future holds. Is holiness and prayer and purity part of your everyday decision-making process as you seek to honor the Lord and walk with Him each day? Folks, if they're not, you better get them front and center 
because you will never grow in your relationship with Him. You'll never experience the joy and blessing of that deeper, richer walk with Him. Decisions will have to be made. And on what basis will you make them? I was 21 years old the first time I felt the call of God in my life. And quite honestly, it terrified me. And I, of course, ignored it and neglected it and thought, I'm imagining things. But he persisted and persisted and persisted. And I could not get away from that deep, profound, internal voice of God calling me into seminary. I was working on a North Sea oil rig at the time. It was called the Magnus Platform. I was a subcontractor to British Petroleum. And I went to see my supervisor. I had been offshore for about six months, completed five or six trips. I can't quite remember. And I went to him and I said, I have to hand in my notice. I'm leaving. And he was somewhat surprised. And he said, Richard, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to seminary to study. And at that point, you could have heard a pin drop. And he said, now, you're married six or eight months. You've just taken out a mortgage. You've got a small apartment. From what you've been telling me, you don't have much by way of furniture and carpets and beds and sofas and things like that. He said, why don't you stay an extra couple of years? Wait till you're 23 or 24 and then go. And boy, was I tempted. And I had to say, I can't. I have to go. And when you begin to make those decisions and feel and sense the call of God in your life, there is no guarantee of what tomorrow will bring. There is no guarantee of income or housing or anything of that nature. But what we have discovered in the 21st century is what Christians have discovered down through the centuries, that whenever there is a monumental decision to be made, that when we hold on to these five words, we cannot go wrong. If you're taking notes this morning, please get them down. Forsaking all, I trust Him. When it comes to relationships, when it comes to a work environment, when it comes to moving house, when it comes to new opportunities and promotion, when it comes to every aspect of our lives, and we are uncertain about the future, and we're fearful, and quite frankly, scared. Forsaking all, I trust him. That's what was going on in the life of Ruth. And what does the passage say? When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Stopped urging her. Now, please take it from someone who has a little experience. People named Ruth are not only beautiful on the outside, they are beautiful on the inside. But once they make up their minds, it's over. It's over. And Naomi was sensing exactly that. 
And she was sensing that God was in the working in the life of Ruth. And that's exactly what was happening. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. That's what she said. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And here comes the most important words in that entire phrase. May the Lord deal with me. Ruth young Moabites, had no knowledge of God when she lived in Moab, but being in the family of Naomi, God was at work in her life, and He was now calling her back to Bethlehem along with Naomi to see what was coming next. And so as the narrative develops, they head back to Bethlehem. And notice what the passage says. And it says, So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Now, if you were born and raised in a city, it's difficult to get your mind around rural village life. But if you've ever been around folks who were raised in that context, you will know that news in a village spreads very, very quickly. And you can imagine Naomi and Ruth coming from Moab through the desert area into the high country of the Judean hillside and then down into the low country, moving towards Bethlehem. And of course, some of the folks in the village could see them coming. And the closer and closer they got, you can imagine some of the ladies standing there chatting with each other saying, now, that looks for all the world like Naomi. And of course, the closer and closer these ladies get, the more engaged in dialogue they are. And when they get right next to them, they say, Naomi? And she says what? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I went away full, and I have come back empty. Please allow me to say this, and to be as gentle as I possibly can, that if you are convinced that the Christian life is about moving from one blessed experience with the Lord to another, to moments of answered prayer to another, to moments of great breakthrough then to another, to moments of great intimacy with the Lord day after day after day after day. You are not reading the Scriptures closely enough. For there will be times that God will allow or bring difficult situations into our lives. Situations so difficult, so harsh, that we cannot for the life of us work out what's going on, and our backs are up against the wall, and there is no wiggle room, and we are wondering and prayerfully and tearfully saying, Lord, what on earth are you doing? Why would you allow this to take place? And that, in essence, is what Naomi is saying right here. Why would 
God allow this into our lives? Well, please hear this. In these closing verses of this chapter, the book of Ruth clearly and strongly talks to us of the providence of God. And the providence of God is one of those incredible doctrines that we don't hear much about these days, but we experience. And if I was to give you a definition of what I mean when I'm talking about providence, it would come from the shorter Westminster Catechism. And this is how they define providence. God, the great creator of all things, upholds, directs, disposes, and governs all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest to the least. By His most wise and holy providence, according to His infallible knowledge and the free and immutable counsel of His own will. And you may be saying, Richard, that sounds great, but tease that out a little for me. Help me understand that a little more. Give it to me in accessible language that I can remember and grasp and understand. And in essence, it means this, that God is omniscient. He knows all things. He knew Naomi, Elimelech, Mahlon, and Kilion before they were ever born. He is omniscient, all, excuse me, omnipotent, all powerful. He walked with them into Moab. He lived with and encouraged and strengthened them in the midst of all that was taking place. And then finally, he is doing what? He is bringing them, or at least he's bringing Naomi back because he is omnipresent. In other words, this, and some Old Testament scholars tell us this, and there is significant biblical textual evidence to support this, that when Elimelech and Naomi first left Bethlehem, that was not the best decision for that young family. In fact, it is argued that it was pragmatism over faith, and the argument is this, Elimelech, Naomi, what on earth are you doing? God has called us into a promised land, to this village called Bethlehem. Bethlehem means what? House of bread. Yes, we're going through a famine. Yes, these are tough days. But if you hang on and you persevere, the Lord will be with you. And in fact, they get up and leave and go to Moab. But here is God working in and through poor choices, in and through bad decisions. His providence is never restricted or limited because of our poor choices. Never, ever, ever. He still has them. He holds them in the palm of His hand, and He loves them every bit as much the day they came back to Bethlehem as the day they left. Now, let me try and wrap things up with a closing thought. Naomi is walking down 
from the foothills of Judah towards Bethlehem. And as you know, some of the folks are see her coming and they engage her in conversation. And you know, of course, that as Naomi enters Bethlehem, she's looking at her old house, wondering who lives there now. She's looking at the almond groves, remembering where she taught her wee ones to walk. She remembers the tree that she fell in love, standing there with Elimelech all those years ago. And now she's back. And she says, the Lord took me away full. He has brought me back empty. So as we leave this morning, please hear this, that the providence of God is always a continuing story. We are only at the end of the opening chapter. There is a great deal more coming. But what I want to leave you with this morning is this, that if you have found yourself making bad decisions in the past, making poor choices, please understand this, that He is always, always, always ready to welcome you back. Always. This is not only a biblical truth from Ruth, but do you remember the story of the prodigal son who left his family to live in a far country, ran out of food and had to come back? Very similar pattern. And what we are seeing and finding here is this, that God is far from finished with Naomi. He's only beginning with Ruth, and the eternal redemptive purposes of God are being worked outright here in the midst of dialogue, in the midst of decision, in the midst of challenges and uncertainties. God is right there. There's a certain symmetry in the book of Ruth. began in Bethlehem. It's about to end in Bethlehem, at least chapter 1, when the barley harvest was coming to be. And let me close with the words of an old hymn. Some of you may remember it from your childhood. And some of the verses contain these words. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides, hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. You may well be here this morning. And you are saying to me, Richard, I hear exactly what you're saying. But we are no longer living in Kansas. And you may well be facing some of the most difficult and most decisive decisions of your life. And the last words I want you to hear this morning so you can recite them as you leave. Forsaking all, I trust Him and He can be trusted. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this remarkable book of Ruth. May we this week take the principles we have learned this morning, seek to live them out in the messiness and distraction of our lives, 
draw us into a relationship with you that will refresh us and renew us, equip and enable us to trust you for all that is to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.